Oh man, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. We're gonna continue our series called Upside Down and we're going through the Beatitudes and we've made it all the way to Matthew chapter five and verse seven. And here's what it says. It says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Now, I said before that, that I heard it said that the Beatitudes turn us into the friends we wanna have. The Beatitudes turn us into the friends we want to have. So we want to have friends who are poor in spirit. In other words, friends that recognize their need for Jesus. We want to have friends who mourn over their sins and who are willing to repent. We all want friends like that, that when they're wrong, they're willing to repent. We want friends who are meek, who have power but are, is under control of the Holy Spirit. Friends that step into the strength that God supplies. We, we all want to have friends that hunger and thirst after the things of God. We want friends like that. And we also, we want friends uh, that are merciful. How many of you guys want friends that when you blow it, they're merciful to you? Anybody want friends like that, right? We want friends who are merciful. We want friends that show us mercy when we mess up, when we blow it. But here's the problem. Too often, we want friends like that. We want friends to show us mercy. But come on, how many of you guys will admit that times you have trouble showing mercy to other people, right? I mean, sometimes we all have trouble showing mercy. And so what I want to do is I want to go to the end of the book of Jonah and go to the very end of the story of the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, if you have your Bible, you, you can go there, Jonah chapter 4. Let me just recap the story for some of you guys who uh, may not be familiar with it. I assume most of us are, but let's, let's just go there. So Jonah was a prophet of God, and he was given this message to declare over Nineveh, which Nineveh was a very wicked city. Uh, thousands upon thousands of people just in complete wickedness. I'm not going to go into all of the wicked things that they did. It was, it was unbelievable. Our mind has a, tr has a hard time wrapping ourselves around that to try to understand how evil it was. But he was uh, commissioned by God to give this word to Nineveh. He needed to travel there and to say, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And so he, he says this, uh, he has this word from God to go deliver, but he doesn't want to deliver this word. He doesn't want to be the guy who says this. He doesn't, he, he, for several reasons, as you can read through the story and find out, he, he doesn't want to do this. And so he takes off in a ship the other direction, the opposite direction of Nineveh. He goes, and of course, you guys know the story. There's a storm on the boat. They figure out that it's Jonah's fault. They throw him over. Uh, a big fish comes, swallows Jonah up. Jonah repents in the fish. Fish pukes Jonah out on dry land. Jonah goes to Nineveh, okay? It's a recap version right there, okay? So he goes to Nineveh, he walks through the city, it takes him a couple days, and he's yelling this out, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be toast, 40 days, it's all over, you know, and that's what he says all throughout the city. Well, he didn't really expect or he didn't really want what happened next because Nineveh decided they were going to repent. They said, well, we don't want that, so let's do what we can, let's cry out to God. And God began to have mercy on them, and this as we see in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it upset Jonah quite a bit. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's like, I knew this was going to happen. This is why I didn't want to come. I went the other way because I thought this was going to happen. And he said, because I know that you are a gracious God, and here's our word today, merciful. He's like, I know that you're a merciful God. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. How many of you guys know Jonah's being a little dramatic here, right? 
He's like, all right, if you're not going to wipe these people out, then just wipe me out. Because I didn't even want to come here. And he says, and the Lord says, do you well, do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade till he could see what would become of the city. So he's so upset. He's upset with God. He's upset that he's got to be here. And he goes up on a hillside looking over the city and with his fingers crossed, hoping God's still going to smite them. That's where we find Jonah. Now, Jonah is the type of guy who's happy to receive mercy, but reluctant to give mercy. All throughout the story of Jonah, he's been given mercy all the time. He's been given mercy by God multiple times. He was given mercy by the sailors who didn't even want to overthrow him, but finally reluctantly did at his, re, at his begging them to do so. He's received mercy all along the way, but all along the way, he's reluctant to give mercy. Now, here's the thing. I've got to ask the question, what's wrong with Joe here? Like, what's wrong with Joe? Because Joe... Is he like this guy that's just like a mass murderer in his heart and he wants to see thousands upon thousands of people wiped out? Is he a guy? I don't think that that's what's going on here. I don't think, I don't think that's what's happening. And here's what we'll find out, that I believe Jonah is more like us or we're more like Jonah than maybe we care to admit. Or maybe what's happening in Jonah is happening in us more often than we want to think. Because I don't think Jonah actually wanted to see a bunch of people die so he could get revenge. I don't think that's what's going on here. I also don't think that, like I said, he wanted to be a mass murderer, God to be a mass murderer and wipe out a bunch of people. I don't think that's what's going on here. I also don't think that Jonah said to God, I don't want you to be a merciful God. Those things aren't going on. That's not what's happening here. So what is happening? Well, I'll tell you later on in the message. Put a pin in that. Just hang on to that. Because I think it's closer to in us than what we might think it is. And we're more like Jonah than what we want to believe. So, but first, before we go there, I think it's helpful for us to understand the difference between grace and mercy. Because sometimes when we hear the word mercy, we automatically think of grace. And while they are intertwined and they do complement one another, there's a slight difference. And so I love the definition that says it this way. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So it's like, it's a free gift, right? I mean, mercy is a free gift, but grace is getting something we don't deserve. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't work for it. We couldn't buy it. Grace is given to us freely. We didn't earn it. Let me give you an example of this. Um, this past week, I went to the DMV. Pray for me, right? You guys like, and instantly, how many of you guys just like had stress just shoot up right then, right? So I went to the DMV. Actually, I was taking my kids to Chick-fil-A. A couple of them work at Chick-fil-A. So I drive past it every time I take them there. I see a bunch of people either in line before nine o'clock or waiting in their vehicles to be in line. So they're waiting in line so they don't have to wait in line. I never understood that, but they're all there waiting in line so they don't have to wait in line. And so I drive back, I drop them off. It's about two minutes until nine o'clock before it opens. And I pull in there and everyone, all the parking lot's full. Everyone has been sitting there waiting for the doors to open, but everyone's still in their vehicles. And so I start to get out of my vehicle to go up to the front door. And everyone gets out of their vehicle at the same time. Like they've been waiting. And so I know they've been waiting. But my wife told me about this app that you're supposed to sign in to, to register to, to get, you know, in the DMV. So I'm, as we're walking up there, I'm realizing I could beat all these people to the door. I, could, I, could, I can run faster than most of these people, I bet. And, but they were here first. And so I'm slowly walking and letting them just being fair. And as I'm going up there, I'm signing in. And as I sign in, I look on the app and it says, you're first in line. 
And I'm like, is this real? Like, am I really, like, is this how this works? And it says, I'm first in line. And so we're walking up there and I'm realizing, and all these people are kind of trying to get up there and I realize I'm first in line. And so I let all of those people go in before me. And then there was other people coming behind me. And, and I'm like, well, I might as well let these people in front because they don't know that I'm first in line. And so we went up to the door. I went up to the door and this lady came before me and I start to let her in. She's like, no, you were here first. I'm like, no, go ahead, go ahead, just go ahead. I'm such a nice guy. Just, just go ahead. You want to go ahead too? Oh, just everybody go ahead. And so I got in there and basically as soon as I got my, I mean, it's a room full of people, nine o'clock. Everybody's been waiting for a long time. I just showed up. As soon as I sat down, almost barely sat down, guess whose name they called? Yep. Sean Phillips. I'm like, everyone is looking at me. I, I got up to the counter. I'm the only one there up at the counter. And I tell you what, I didn't see anybody from that point on, but I could feel everybody from that point on just staring at me. And my daughter, I told my daughter that story, and she said, Dad, that's just like the scripture in the Bible. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, the Bible says that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I said, amen. Have you guys know I had favor at the DMV this week, right? <laughs> that, I'm telling you, that's what grace is like. I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't there first, but God just shot me up to the front of the line. I'm going to give God credit for that one, okay? So that's almost better than getting a good parking lot at a parking spot at Walmart. That's almost as good as that. But that's what grace is. It's getting something you did not deserve. Now, mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you do deserve. So you have something coming to you, and it ain't good. And when mercy comes, it relieves what you should have had coming to you. So let me give you an example. There's an interesting story in Zechariah chapter 3. And Joshua is found guilty. It's this courtroom scene up in heaven. Joshua's found guilty in heaven and rightfully accused. But then this twist comes. In Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Have you guys know that Satan is the accuser, right? That's what he does. That's his whole gig. He accuses. Now, it says, Satan is standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, watch this. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Is Joshua guilty? Yes, He's clothed with filthy garments. That's what these guilt, filthy garments represent. Okay, he's guilty. Satan is rightfully accusing him of his guilt because he's guilty. And it, then it says, And the angel of the Lord said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I've taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So Jesus rebukes sin, wipes out the, rebukes Satan, wipes out the sin, and so from that point on, is Joshua guilty? No. He has been made right. He has been, his punishment has been removed. His sin has been removed. How many of you guys remember that movie, The Fugitive? Anybody with Harrison Ford, The Fugitive? In that movie, here's a guy who was wrongfully accused of killing his wife. He's wrongfully accused. And the whole movie, I'm like rooting for him to get away. I'm rooting for things to be set right. Why? Because there's something in us that gets upset when someone is wrongfully accused. There's something in us that rises up. Have you ever heard those stories of these guys who got put in prison for like 20 years, 30 years? 
accused of something falsely and then DNA evidence comes out and proves that they weren't even at the scene and they couldn't have been them at all, right? How many of you guys, man, every time I hear a story like that, there's something in me that gets really upset because of the injustice of somebody being wrongfully accused. You know, I grew up uh, with four brothers and we, sometimes we'd mess with each other at times and I mean, they, we wouldn't do a lot of crazy things and get in real bad trouble, but there's, there's this one time I remember, I can't remember what happened, but uh, we didn't wanna get in trouble and so several of us got together because there were several of us, you know, four brothers and, and so several of us got together and we just said, okay, well, we're just gonna blame Jake, that, that my younger brother, we're just gonna blame him. And no matter what mom and dad says, we're just going to tell them and we're going to stick. Are you ready to stick to this story? Yeah. Okay. So Jake didn't do it, but we just decided we we're going to blame Jake. And so they line us all up. Okay. What happened guys? And all, and all of us, Jake did it. Jake's like, I did. What are you talking about? And we're like, Jake did it. And, and we knew the punishment. I mean, if you lied, man, you got even worse trouble. And how do you guys think we're horrible people now? <laughs> because he actually got in trouble for it. And see that, that feeling that you just had about the wrongfully accused is the same anger that ought to rise up against you towards Satan whenever he accuses you after Jesus has forgiven you. Because from the moment that you are forgiven, from that point on, you are now wrongfully accused. And anytime Satan tries to bring an accusation, there ought to be something that rises up in you and say, you got the wrong man. You got the wrong woman. You showed up at the wrong house. You got the wrong address and the wrong DNA because that is not the person you're accused. I am not that person. That's how good the grace and mercy of God is. And it's a free gift. So mercy enters into our mess. It removes the punishment we have coming to us. That's what mercy does. And when God does this, he does this fully, he does this completely, and he does this freely. And grace and mercy, as we'll see before the end of this message, grace and mercy work together. I love how Robert Morris tells this story. I saw this message this week. He tells this little story, so check it out. Here's a really great verse about God removing our sin. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, let me just remind all you church people, this is good news. Because y'all are actually bad even though you look good right now. <laughs> right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So he didn't just cover, he removed them. He removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way. They're gone. They're removed. He said, well, how do you get in on this? Well, it's free for you. For you. Doesn't cost you anything. Um, famous preacher, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, which you probably have to be a pastor. You might recognize that name if you've done some study. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London, England. Very famous church. Uh, after him, there were a few others, but then there was a famous uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, very famous pastor for many years. And then after him, even not very long ago, was R.T. Kendall. And R.T. Kendall's been here at our church, Dr. Kendall. So G. Campbell Morgan, very well known, and uh, he shared some stories about his life, and this is... One of the stories, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was trying to explain free salvation to a coal miner. 
But the man was unable to understand it. He said, I'm going to have to pay for it. With a flash of divine insight, Dr. Morgan asked, how did you get down into the mine this morning? He said, why, that was easy, the man replied. I just got on the elevator and it went down. Then Morgan asked, wasn't that too easy? Didn't it cost you something? The man laughed. No, it didn't cost me anything, but it must have cost the company plenty to install that elevator. Then the man saw the truth. And Morgan said to him, it doesn't cost you anything to be saved, but it costs God the life of his son. It is free salvation. Does it cost us, but it costs God everything. How many guys are thankful for the mercy and the grace of God? Yeah, let's give him some praise. He doesn't just partially remove our sin. He does, doesn't like kind of remove our sin. He totally washes our sin away as far as the east is from the west. So we're thankful for the mercy of God. So why is it so hard for us to give mercy to other people? Like we've been given so much mercy. Why is it so hard for us to give mercy to other people? Let's, let's go back to Jonah because I know you guys have been waiting to figure out what's going on with Jonah, right? So back to Jonah. Why, why was it that Jonah wanted to see all those people wiped out. What, what was the deal? Let's read it again. Jonah chapter four, verse two and three. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when, we were back, when I was back in my country? There must have been some sort of private conversation going on between Jonah and God. Remember the word he was, and yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh will be destroyed. That's what he went through and he started to say, he had to walk like three days through the city. And he, there had to be some conversation with God as to why he didn't want to go through with this. And he says, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God. He's like, I know. So he's been given this word 40 days and it's gone. But he's like, I know you're a merciful God. And he says, I know you're a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Here's why Jonah wanted to see these people wiped out. Because Jonah was upset that his prophecy would not be fulfilled. Jonah didn't want to look bad. Jonah wanted to be right. And God told him to, de to declare 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days, and it didn't happen. And if it didn't happen, then Jonah would look bad. Jonah wanted to be right at all costs. And he wanted to be so right at all costs, even if it meant destroying other people's lives. And this is where Jonah and his heart starts to look a little more like our heart at times, doesn't it? Like how many times do we want to just be right, even at the cost of other people's lives? And how many times do we want to see other people in pain and go through the pain so because we were like, I told you so. Like, and their pain actually proves our rightness. Like, if they would have done it my way, then they, they wouldn't be experiencing this pain, but they're experiencing this pain because they are, what? They're getting what they deserve. What, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. But our heart of wanting to be right at all costs is trying to make people have pain because they need to experience and get what they deserve. 
How many of you guys struggle with this? Man, I struggle with this because I want everybody to do it my way, right? I want everybody, and this, this is something that helped me out a long time ago, and I still have to go back to this all the time because I struggle with this. I struggle with this. And so if you're struggling with this area, like, like everybody needs to be doing it the right way, which is my way, by the way, guys. I just thought I'd let you know. And that's how we feel. That if, if you're struggling with this area, that they're not doing it the right way. They're not doing it my way. And we have trouble with mercy. Here, here's, here's something that really helped me out. And it's this. Discern the difference between a responsibility and a concern. I heard this a long time ago. It helped me out immensely. There are some things in my life that are my responsibility. Like, like I am a parent, I'm a dad to my kids. There's things that goes on in their life that's my responsibility to help lead them and guide them and direct them. If I take my hands off the wheel there, I'm shirking my responsibility, right? As a husband, there's things that are my responsibility. As a pastor of this church, there are things that are my responsibility. And, and Here's the problem that I have. See, sometimes I start to believe that everything is my responsibility and that everyone is my responsibility. And so then when, when I believe that everything and everyone is my responsibility, then I begin to get frustrated with people and I begin to take on other people's responsibility and I start to, start to not have, I start to be judgmental in my heart towards other people. Because what? Because they're not doing it my way. And then when I see them walk through pain, there's a temptation in me to say, well, they got what they deserved. But see, there are some things that are my responsibility, and those things that are my responsibility, I need to speak up, stand up, be strong, do the right thing, say the right thing, do whatever it takes. But there are some things that aren't my responsibility. In fact, there's a lot of things that I'm aware of right now that aren't my responsibility but are of great concern to me. Like as a pastor, you hear all these things. And I'm very concerned about a lot of things. And there's a temptation for me to take them on as my responsibility, but not all of those are my responsibility. So what do you do with things that aren't your responsibility, but are very of great concern to you? Here's what you do. The things that are of great concern, you take to the Lord in prayer. And so the things that are my responsibility, I stand up and I take care of. The things that are just simply a concern, I take to the Lord in prayer. And I try to, and I say, Lord, I... I believe here's the right way for them, but that's not my responsibility. Lord, I pray that you would help their heart, and maybe if I'm wrong, that you'd help my heart towards them. I take those to the Lord in prayer. Because there are a lot of times when, if you would just admit that there's sometimes we want to take responsibility for other people, and, or maybe it's just me. It's probably just me, okay? I'm just, it's just me. Has there ever been a time when somebody else's joy, like when their joy is low, your joy went up? Or maybe when their joy went up, your joy went down. See, in that moment, you realize that you have taken responsibility in an area that you shouldn't have taken responsibility of. So you have to discern the difference between a responsibility and a concern. And so the, the next thing I want you to get is this, as we wrap this up, is that God's mercy, when you step into God's mercy and you start living out God's mercy and you start receiving God's mercy, it's better than you think it is. As good as you think it is so far, I'm gonna, I hope I'm going to prove to you by the end of this message in the short few minutes we have left that it's even better than that. And to do that, we've got to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, we see something called the mercy seat of God. 
The mercy seat of God, it was, it was on top of the ark. You guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, Indiana Jones. Okay, Indiana Jones. Remember that? The Ark of the Covenant, it's, a, it's, a, it's the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And the lid, it's about yay big. That's, that's approximate. Okay, it's, it had two angels on top of it, two cherubim, that their wings faced inward. It was all overlaid in gold. And the Spirit of God would rest in between the two cherubim. And the day of atonement was the great day of the year when the high priest would come and change out of his normal adornment. He'd put on all white to represent being uh, washed of their sins. He would go and he would kill a bull and he would walk into the Holy of Holies to the Ark of the Covenant and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the, of the Ark. Then he would go back out and he would take two live goats. Watch what happens. Leviticus chapter 16, verse seven. It says, he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots, he's gonna roll the dice for these two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat, literally escape goat, and we'll see why that means that here in just a little bit. So he takes these two goats, he rolls the dice, he picks one, he's like, okay, one is gonna be for the Lord, one is gonna be the scapegoat. Verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, so the one that's for the Lord, he's gonna sacrifice it, sacrifices the one for the sin offering, which is for the people, uh, bring its blood inside the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So two goats, rolls the dice, you're for the Lord, you get sacrificed, here's the blood, take it over to the mercy seat, sprinkles it on the mercy seat for all the sins of the people. Because they had all these rituals and all these things that they would do throughout the year to take care of sin, but this year, the Day of Atonement was, was the high priest was gonna cover all of these sins, like any of the secret sins, any of the sins you forgot to mention, anything you forgot to repent of, this was gonna take care of it all. So he goes in there, sprinkles the blood on the altar. Now watch what happens with the leftover goat. Is this weird yet? Okay, because this all symbolizes stuff. Okay, we'll see it here in just a minute. And when he made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and he will confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. So he symbolically puts all the sin on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself their iniquities. It will bear the sins and to an uninhabited land and they shall release the goat in the wilderness. Here's what's going on. This is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. That not only would Jesus be sacrificed for our sins to cover all of our sins once and for all, but Jesus also carried away our sins, as, as Pastor Robert said, as far as the east is from the west. This is what Jesus did on the cross. How many of you guys are so thankful that your sins are not just covered up, but they are not, they're not just a sacrifice for sins, but they have been carried away. And God, the Bible says that God remembers them no more. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be, here's the word, merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Here's how God and his mercy is better than you think it is. God doesn't just take you as a sinner and you repent of your sins, he forgives you of your sin and then treats you as someone who had sin, repented of his sin, and then was brought back into the family. That's not how God treats you. That's not what God does. That's not the totality of what it does. It says he, and that's good, by the way. How many of you guys know that's a good, that'd be a good place to be, but that's not what God does. 
The Bible says that he remembers your sin even no more, that he erases your sin. Here's what I want you to understand, that God treats us as if we have never sinned. If he remembers it no more, when he looks at you, he doesn't see the sin you've committed. God interacts with you from a pre-sin stance. And this is how grace and mercy work together. See, when, you, when God's mercy comes into your life and you don't get what you do deserve, the punishment for your sin is lifted. It opens the door for grace to get something that you don't deserve. So mercy leads to the grace. Mercy opens the door of grace. And so God, he, he, this mercy allows God to be able to see you through the lens of Jesus, through the right standing, through the righteousness of God, through Christ. So that when God looks at you because of mercy, because of grace, he sees you as someone without sin. That, that's, that's better than, than you even think it could be, right? That's the kind of God we serve. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we get ready to, to receive communion. Because I think it's appropriate today when we talk about the mercy and the grace of God that we come back to the table, as it were, and we come and we receive communion. That we're reminded of the blood that was spilled for us. In the Old Testament, symbolically put on the mercy seat of the altar, but on the cross. How many of you guys know blood was spilled on the cross and God's mercy and grace was poured out? And then when we're reminded, when we take the, the cracker, that we're reminded of the body that was broken for us so that we might be healed. And through the cross of Christ, through the grace and mercy of God, he looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus. So that no matter how you walked into this room, how you felt in this room, no matter if Satan accused you of a bunch of stuff before you came in, if you're walking in the grace of God, you've been wrongfully accused from here on out. And there ought to be something on the inside of you that wakes up and yes, you can mourn over your sin, but you, you need to step out of that and realize that God doesn't come around. He's not mad at you for your sin. God loves you. He's a good God that loves his kids. And so we go back to the very beginning as we wrap up Matthew chapter five, verse seven. Blessed are the merciful for they shall see, receive mercy. So God says this, and here's the heavy part. As good as the mercy of God is, entering the mess, removing the punishment, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. He says, go and do that for somebody else. Go find somebody else to do that for. It's one thing to receive the mercy of God. It's another thing to give the mercy of God. We're called not just to receive the mercy, but to give mercy. And here's what I want you to understand, that whenever you really understand mercy being received, mercy multiplies because then you can give. And we can be like Jonah or we can be like Jesus. See, Jonah wanted to be right at all costs, even the cost of other people's lives. But how many of you guys know that Jesus gave his life at a high cost so that we could be made right? And we can walk in that truth. We can walk in that. So what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna receive communion. And you have those communion, little communion cups there with you. And we're gonna take just a moment to be in awe of the mercy of God. To be thankful for God's mercy.
Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a little bit? Take a moment to prepare your heart right now. Lord, we prayed at the beginning of this message that we would be good soil for this word to be implanted in. Lord, I pray for a revelation that would be in us about your mercy today. This even better than we think it is. Lord, help us also to be good soil in our heart to be givers of your mercy. Come on, if there's somebody in your life right now, maybe it's time to examine your heart. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been unwilling to give mercy to. Well, they deserve it. They, they, they earned this one. And come on, let's be givers of mercy. Mercy not only sets them free, it sets us free. So Jesus, we come before you and we're reminded of your great mercy and love for us. And Lord, we just declare that we're gonna be the kind of people that go and do that, give that for other people. And as we come to this reminder of what you've done for us, the blood that was spilled, the body that was broken, but we're reminded of your victory, your victory over sin, your victory over the grave, your victory on the cross. And we stand in that. Lord, I pray for everyone here to be encouraged by the hope that is found in you today. That we would realize that we can walk in this truth. We can walk in this victory. We can walk free from our sins, free from the guilt. That we, when we're in Christ, we're wrongfully accused from there on out that we can walk in the victory of Jesus. And Lord, we do that today. We're thankful for today, for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. During this song, just receive the elements as you have a moment with Jesus.